Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and explore how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. I am here with Josh and Jess from Seed Club, who I'm so excited to be chatting with today. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Chase. Lovely to be here. I can't wait to dive into a piece that you all put out a little bit ago called DAOs or Consumer Products. Um, but before we even do that, maybe we can do just a little bit of background on each of you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole. And maybe we'll start with Josh and then go to Jess. Nice. I love that. He he always gets the lead. So this feels good. <laughs> this is Josh's time. <laughs> yeah, this is my time. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my background's in consumer tech. I spent, you know, 10-ish years in mostly, mostly product roles at early stage startups. Um, yeah, had a few few great success stories. Also founded a few small things on the side. Um, but kind of like after, or as my last experience in Web2 was winding down, we'd scaled the company to like 700 people. It was well past the size where where I have fun. And, you know, I was looking looking for new opportunities. And it was just like pretty bored with everything I was seeing. It was all just variations of the same business model. Um, all, just, all just kind of felt very sterile. So that was kind of the moment that, I just decided to to jump in into Web three full time. Um, you know, had had been a passive kind of participant and and consumer of it for a while. Um, you know, the, the infrastructure and DeFi cycles were super interesting to me, but um, have always been been more interested and compelled by by consumers. So it was kind of you know waiting waiting for my entry point. And this was this was I think late late twenty twenty kind of NFTs social tokens were really starting to. Uh, kind of capture the their narr- the narrative so it felt felt like there was something there so um yeah just decided to jump into web3 really really with a with a keen eye towards social tokens um and the first thing i did really just as a way to to experiment and, and get my hands dirty was spun up a small agency to to help web2 communities transition to web3 and launch launch social tokens and um you know i didn't have a my own so really just needed this as a way to to learn and um you know worked with maybe like five to 10 projects over the course of six months. And um, as I was doing that, I just kept seeing and hearing Jess everywhere, honestly. And, you know, he was, he was talking a lot about a lot of this stuff that I was, I was interested in and thinking about, but obviously just doing a much better job building around it and, and talking about it. So basically just showed up at Seed Club and, uh, you know, truly, truly haven't left. This was, this was kind of around, I think the time of the second cohort. So he'd run the first first kind of friend friends and family version and and then a real one um, and yeah joined joined around then and have have been along for the ride ever since i love that and i also feel like so between you and nicole you've both said i showed up in in the c club discord and then i never left and now i'm here i mean that was that was very much the the way that you joined DAOs back then right like that that was the the common wisdom was to just kind of force your way in and and start start doing things. Obviously, I think that that's changed now for for good reason. But yeah, totally. And Jess, what about you? How did you how did you come to create the container? Well, I just was fascinated by the idea of building the Hotel California of crypto. Obviously. <laughs> oh God, that's a line <laughs> I'll be quoting you on for a long time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Maybe, yeah, we, maybe we can unpack that later. I, I know. I, I mean. We've had the pleasure of, of talking before, so maybe I'll keep it brief. But I've just generally been infatuated with networks taking over the world and seeing that early on 
as social media sort of started to emerge early in my career and, and seeing the downsides of that pretty quickly. Um, and then seeing sort of the potential for tokens to kind of represent the opportunity to to be uh, for, for consumers or for people that are using these networks to be owners in those networks and hopefully to have more power and and uh, confidence in being able to build there. Um, and that was sort of like the, the core insight as to why I got into crypto in 2017 and I worked on early security token issuance back in the day and have been in around the space for the last few years and in the end of 2020 had uh, the pleasure of bringing a small number of people together in a telegram chat to more directly explore how the intangibles of the internet might be valued using tokens and we've sort of been on that journey for the last two plus years now love it um yeah we've we've done a few seed club episodes now but recently like i mentioned in the beginning I mean, I always love everything that comes out of Seed Club, but I particularly was intrigued by this DAOs or consumer products thesis, um, which I actually think articulated a lot of the way that I've been feeling about the DAO, like, I don't know, promise, I guess, and and what's possible. So um, we'll just dive right into it. Where did this piece come from? Like, I'm curious what the the impetus behind writing this piece was and and then we can kind of dive into some of the the thinking around it and and what it all means maybe i'll take that josh took the lead on writing this so i think the details would be good for him to to dive into but i think you know from from the earliest days at c club we were most excited about this uh you know the the, the new tools that would allow individuals to really participate in crypto. And I think if we sort of zoom out, there's very clearly these infrastructure phases and maybe consumer phases. And I think what we saw was just the early, early stages of crypto's consumer phase. The idea that anybody would be able to come in and uh, use pretty much off-the-shelf tools to go and build a DAO or issue music NFTs or start to really participate in the crypto ecosystem in a way that many of us who, who weren't you know, uh, solidity developers really struggled to do through the first decade of the space. Um, and so I think that original insight maybe wouldn't have been framed that way back in 2020, but when we look back on it, it pretty clearly is, um, I think, what we started to see. And, and the byproducts of that are sort of this exciting new opportunity for things like culture and community and uh, mutual belief and narrative and uh, these things that I think have always been in the background of valuing crypto assets. That's why Bitcoin or an Ethereum is, is valuable. It's because people believe in, in the story. And ultimately that led to creation of meaningful utility and the sort of uh, flywheel started to kick off. And so I think we started to see uh, when we looked at the most exciting DAOs that we've had a chance to work with when we look out on the, in the ecosystem, um, you know, I think there's, there's a, a version where DAOs look more like just sort of like a, an evolution of the corporation where they become these sort of networks for matching people to uh, to resources or to opportunities. And I think that those just uh, haven't proven to be the most compelling. They're not the most compelling to us. What we think is far more interesting is um, that the these products that really create or, or DAOs that are actually structured like products, they're like experiences. They um, are things that you join and become a part of. And, and there's everything from identity all the way through to like a, uh, entertainment or a deep meaning in participating. And I think that increasingly is the lens that we look at DAOs through. And uh, I think we've started to see some really early moves from from many teams in the space that are actually 
delivering on that vision. And I think when we look forward to the next two years, we'll see that uh, that thesis come more and more into vision. Yeah, I really love that. And I'm curious, like when you think about orgs that really embody this type of almost like DAOs as an experiential consumer product, what's coming to mind as, as the early versions of this? Well, I think in the next couple of weeks, not sooner, we'll start to see the vision that Cabin uh, is rolling out. So building a network city, not a network state, important distinction that uh, Jonathan Hillis will uh, happily go into. I think, you know, they're trying to, to build on uh, what many people would think would be sort of a, a Balaji vision, but in a way that is actually has human beings at the core and, and is actually being built and not just being thought about. And a core mechanic there is this idea of citizenship and the ability to kind of be a part of this community. And, um, you know, we've had an early look at, at the sort of experience that's being built there. And it feels much more like a cohesive app that you get onboarded to, even though it is this network of many different moving pieces, than the sort of amorphous set of links to discords or telegrams or places you need to sign in with your wallet that I think most DAOs are right now. So I think Cabin's going to be a great example of that. I think if you look at Friends with Benefits and the app that they rolled out, um, I think there's still a long ways to go with making that app that the type of experience that they want to build there, but uh, clearly it's an early example of it. Uh, I think the archive team has been building some interesting things with Atrium and, and the tool that allows people to come in and help curate um, the sort of real life museum that they're building. And there's there's many, many more um, that I think we'll start to see emerge over the next little while. Yeah, I think Nouns is another you know great example that that I often point to just because I, I see so much of their success coming from the product suite they have and the the like superior ownership and consumer experiences that that result from it, right? Like most other DAOs, you have to spend days in Discord to even begin to understand what's happening, you know, which most, most consumers obviously just aren't going to do. And that, you know, that significantly hampers their, their network size and value. So now it's what they've, you know, brilliantly done is they've just made it so clear how to join and participate. It's just like beautifully simple and elegant mechanism and product that just like puts all the focus on on the meme and the core ownership experience. You know, that the, the meme being building decentralized, a decentralized brand built on this like novel economic funding model or novel economic model and and the core ownership experience being, you know, making making sense of how to spend money toward towards that mission. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. It almost feels like this framing of DAOs as consumer products is like the next evolution of what I think we previously called like quote unquote community, where even when I think about like cabin or nouns or a lot of other DAOs, I guess for that matter, um, the experience of the community was always something that felt important. But I think for a lot of orgs, it it was not like justifiable to put it at the forefront because we didn't see the quote unquote community as like the consumer in the way that you're framing it in this. Um, and so this kind of feels to me like it's an evolution where we're like, okay, cool. We've done the community thing. Now we're ready to recognize what types of DAOs exist to serve a group of people. And now instead of seeing those people as this like weird community concept, we're actually seeing them more as the consumers um, of that experience. Is that like a, a fair way to characterize it? Or, or do you think differently about it? Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely fair, right? Like people, people on the internet generally 
you know, they want to be entertained. They want, want to find a sense of belonging and shared purpose. They want to socialize. They want a status signal. And all of that, that's all, that's all human to human, right? It's all, you know, valuable and interesting in the context of other humans. So I think like, you know, being able to come together around some like big audacious goal, but also, you know, like lean into these, these like consumer desires and needs alongside that is this just like previously uh like inaccessible thing right we're taking these these experiences like you know just mentioned with archive like you can now curate a museum while having what feels like a consumer experience you're 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 hanging out with people who are who are like-minded you know you're building reputation and identity within this social context that matters to you but you're also you know being very productive and curating the internet's museum right you know we have Bot is another example, like you're curating this this decentralized AI artist. And we have we have many examples of that. So I think this is a really interesting framework that I laid out in the post is just like you can take kind of these or look at these experiences that were strictly professional, but you know, really compelling from a consumer perspective and kind of throughout the org structure, like strip away all the all the stuff that sucks and 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 really just like offer the, the fun part to the consumers. So yeah, I, I think I think you're bang on. Yeah, I think there's also a realization. A phrase we use often is that people want ownership experiences and not ownership responsibilities, or at least most people want that. And I think that's a place where maybe some early versions of DAOs kind of got hung up. And and often we see that question come up around governance, right? Like, do people really want to do governance? And the answer is like no, but we want to have the benefits of ownership, the benefits. Uh, you know, saying I'm a part of something, we want to see the financial benefits of being a part of something, we'll have access, we want to be in the know, we want to be able to say we had an impact on on the outcomes that were being generated there. Um, and so I think like the, you know, it's sort of like a, a more nuanced look at what people are actually looking for when they join these organizations. And I think, you know, important to note that most of crypto is a consumer product, right? Like Bitcoin is a consumer product. There's, there's, We've been waiting for institutions to come in size into the space for a decade now. And I think it's still very much driven by consumers who are you know, representing their beliefs in a, a desired future uh, by holding, you know, whether it's an NFT or you know, an Ethereum token or a Bitcoin token. Um, so I think these, um, yeah, it, it's sort of a recognition of a, an ingrained behavior that has existed for you know, as long as, as crypto has existed. I think right now we have just a lot more nuanced ways and exciting ways and, and more niche ways for um, for that demand to be represented and for new opportunities to be created. Yeah, and I really love that framing. You had this line, there was this line in the piece that was saying like, you can own a global brand, you can buy an NBA team, you can do all these things. And when they're designed well, you can actually do it without feeling like you're doing any work at all. And so this idea of like, sort of um, stripping away all the crap that people don't want to do and focusing on the things that people actually do want around feeling like an owner and all that feels really powerful. Now, my question, which might be the hardest question, is how do you make it feel like people aren't doing any work at all? Because it's one thing to be like, yes, 100%, I can see that as being important. And also someone still has to do the the work of, you know, ops and all the shit that people don't actually want to vote on in governance, um, sort of getting at like, how do you strip away the responsibilities while still giving people the experience of ownership? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's, if you hold Ethereum as a token, you um, get the benefits of being somebody who identifies with, you know, believing in Ethereum, you get the benefits of being able to use the Ethereum network. And yet you're not a core developer, you're you're not necessarily contributing to the actual functional maintenance or, or operation of the network. Um, and so I think like it's it's actually probably more the default way that people participate in networks today. I think it, we sort of had this blip where people sh- we we had this belief that random groups of people were going to come together and um, you know align around something and be more effective at driving specific outcomes than than smaller pods or uh, or like companies or, or small core teams. And I think that's just probably proving out to be incorrect or at least not um, not in the exact way that that maybe it was once imagined. So I think you're just going to have uh, smaller groups of people that are able to create exceptional value and they're going to get paid well to go do it. And those are, you know, teams, uh, developers, folks, you know, uh, executing on prop house rounds. Um, and, and then the vast majority of people will just get to participate. And I think the teams that do the best job will be proactively designing ownership experiences Um within these networks, especially as it steps more and more into the consumer layer. Um, but I also think that doesn't need to be uh, overly complicated. Um, and I think we'll start to see more user behaviors emerge that these networks or, or platforms will just continue to create you know, value in a way that people want to show up and connect with people or, or um, collect things, uh, make things, and that, that will be the main experience. And, and the byproduct of that will that they will also be owners of, of the underlying network and not be responsible for the core operation of it. Yeah, I think really like the first step is understanding that you are building a consumer experience and designing a consumer experience. I think early early doubt is there was this, you know, frequent conflation of, you know, core team contributors, consumers and just the assumption that like everyone was here to work and everyone would would want to work and, you know, that's just I think, you know, we've realized through working with you know, hundred plus projects is that's just that's just fundamentally not the case. So I think like you know, step one is is just like understanding why people are there and what parts of the meme or mission do they actually want to participate in or get access to, and then you know just really take this kind of consumer product lens and and make it really easy and rewarding for them them to do those things. I think we have even within C Club actually we have you know a somewhat interesting example where you know we. We knew there, there's been huge demand for participating in our uh, our project selection process. You know, it's just like high leverage, previously inaccessible experience. You know, pretty fun looking through the you know 300 applications and and you know try to make sense of them and and see who you would you would admit. Um, so we built a native product for people to review accelerator applications and you know had insanely high participation. It was like I think 50, 60 percent of holders participated and you know overwhelmingly positive sentiment. Um, and then you know compare that to to what like you know budget governance proposals would would have and you know there there are examples like that across across all these projects so i think it's really just like understanding what about the meme or mission people are are stoked on and then you know build build ownership experiences around that that make it really easy and rewarding for them to do those things yeah i think even in that context it makes me wonder like You know, when we talk about ownership in Web3, I feel like everyone has their own little definition of what that looks like and what it means. And it makes me wonder if this is kind of um, redefining the what we would, I think, traditionally think about as ownership. Like, I think, 
you know, the early DeFi crowd would very much see ownership as the ability to change parameters on governable smart contracts. And and it feels like this is really shaping um, the definition of ownership to be something that's much more human-centric um, and almost just like providing people with a space to feel needed and and like they're contributing. I think like the the core ownership that most people, especially in DeFi, want is that they own a token that represents ownership in a network and the number goes up. So I think that that's probably a universal experience in, in many of these networks. Um, and I think the there is a subset of people who very much value the control over the parameters. And those are, I think, have had a disproportional amount of attention on them over the last while because most early users in crypto have been developers and have in, in many ways coming to web three because they have been burned in, in building on other networks that have been rugged from them and whether it's a Twitter or Facebook or you name it. Um, and yet I think the, the sort of the main consumer demand for crypto has been this, this number go up. And I, I don't see that as a, a negative thing. I think it's like a, a challenging thing for builders um, and, and one that you can definitely feel pretty whiplashed around. Uh, but I do think that the long-term sustainability of uh, of these networks comes as people, as that sort of settles down, and there's there's more of this human involvement in these networks, and and where um, the value is, you know, of ownership is more tightly aligned with the utility or the desire to participate. And I think I use utility pretty broadly here because I think something like nouns, like the 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 number of people who who identify as being nounish and who participate in that ecosystem that don't own a noun token I think is was frankly shocking to me and I think it sort of points to this desire um, for participation and belonging and and you know this more psychological sense of ownership that um, has caught me a bit by surprise and I think Lee Jen has a great post that she uh, gets into a little bit on a podcast that we're I think publishing next week but also on her newsletter that talks about the psychological psychological ownership and just the, the the various ways that ownership might show up or that we might want to design for uh within our communities or, or protocols yeah i think we're, we're realizing how how like nuanced ownership really is like you can you know you can have structural ownership and not feel like an owner and you can feel like an owner and not have any ownership and often you know the the promise of ownership can be as good of an incentive almost as as the real thing so i think we're you know we're really just pushing on the edges of what what ownership means in these you know in these in these crypto native networks mm, yeah that gets at like a really interesting point here which i think to me i i have i have like two sides of processing this argument in my brain the first one is like yes this is exactly what we need for meaningful adoption it's and not not even just that it's actually like how i imagine DAOs existing in the world when i actually think about it from like a sort of um first principles my experience with the internet is that i would like to have a say in things i don't want to have a say in budgets of a random app that i use like from that perspective i think it totally makes sense the other part of my brain that's processing this is you know the the i don't think i'm a decentralization maxi but i consume enough crypto twitter where my brain is oriented that way and so I think that the other side of this around your point, Josh, on like um, the the real structural ownership or maybe real isn't the right term. Maybe it's like on-chain executable ownership versus the feeling of ownership. Um, 
you know, that being misaligned is definitely putting off my my decentralization maxi red flag type type radar. And so I'm curious how you're thinking about this balance between building ownership experiences and creating on-chain executable ownership. Yeah, I think we a big a big learning we've had, I think, over the last few years of of building DAOs and and supporting DAOs is that very very often being a DAO from day zero is like introduces more more challenges than than advantages. And I think what you're pointing out is is one of them, right? Like suddenly you you know you do have this this broad network of owners who you know have are entitled to an opinion and um, and really like what we we see you know both in in Web three and you know the history of building anything is that you know really small kind of focused empowered teams are often what create amazing things so i think what you know what we're recognizing is that it likely makes sense to you know even if you you have every intention to be a user-owned network longer term it, it often makes sense to to postpone that while you really figure out what you're actually building and what's resonating with people and once you actually know what that looks like it's much easier to actually you know build structural on-chain governance because you you know what the thing is you're not you're not still in this like this this rapid iteration towards product market fit while also trying to deal with you know the realities of of being on chain yeah i think it's a, a timing thing and also i think you just need to to step up or zoom out and and realize that we really don't know how to do these things well right how to how to distribute ownership well um you know the, there's a lot of experiments that are out there but i don't think we can point to anyone as being like the canonical you know, uh, example of how to go do this in a repeatable way. And so I think that means that, um, you know, for builders who are building early stage products that the many get, many are building because there's a, a deep ideological belief in it. And we share that, right? I think the, the, there's an, a piece later on in the series that was really a pushback against this idea of web 2.5 uh, and, and saying that crypto really still wants to be seen sort of a, a call back to a post that Kayvon from from Foundation had written, you know, over a year ago, and I think we still we believe that deeply in our core. And also, you know, we have this the saying at C Cloud where we say build something people want to be a part of, and I think that's like the core rallying cry for folks that are building community owned networks or DAOs. And uh, in many cases, early decentralization or, or distribution of ownership, let's call it that, early di- distribution of ownership um, can be directly opposed to. The, the the types of store or get in the way of building that thing effectively and so the question really is do you want to actually build something people want to be a part of and and you know default to the chance of actually doing that successfully or is distributing ownership from day one the most important thing and, and of course there's examples of you know either being the most correct way uh, but i think the uh we're getting at with this idea of, of being able to sort of at least uh use ownership narratives as a way of, of sort of bootstrapping interest and attention towards an actual distribution of ownership is that it gives uh, the builders of these networks more time to understand the dynamics that exist there and to actually distribute that ownership in an effective and empowering way. And, you know, I think we, we can look at Blur as an example here that I think many people are, are calling out, whether you like it or you hate it, it's been incredibly effective at least capturing uh, a bunch of liquidity in the short term. And one of the core mechanics there was this sort of variable reward and one that had, um, you know, different phases and, and, and 
really that was sort of a, a response to the older way of doing uh, distribution of ownership, which was these sort of airdrops that were sort of one and done, or maybe you know done in, in a couple stages, but still very um, sort of hard coded. And I think we're seeing more and more protocols, or we'll see more protocols, and, and definitely uh, consumer products really want to get a sense of how people are using these tools before um, they're meaningfully distributing that ownership. So I think we still want to get to the same place, um, but the conflict here is like, you know, do you want to own something and govern something that just doesn't do the job well and won't do that job long term, or or should we de default to actually getting the thing right uh, and then looking to distribute that ownership? And, and of course, all of this is complicated by the uncertainty of securities laws and et cetera. So do your own research, talk to your lawyers, et cetera. Mm, yeah, even and I don't know how much you can even talk about this or are comfortable talking about it, but even the way that Seed Club did the original club distribution of or I don't know if it was technically the original, but um, playing around with like non-transferable tokens, I think is fascinating. Um, and And it does make me wonder, you know, what does liquidity, what role does like liquidity even play in a lot of this stuff? Where, Jess, you kind of brought up earlier, like, you know, there is a, definitely a chunk of the DeFi crowd where um, the sort of rallying cry is basically like number go up for their token. And um, it feels like we've definitely seen a shift in a lot of the types of communities that, for example, like Seed Club might work with, but that I think more broadly are these like, um, like cultural, more, I don't know really what the right word is, but projects that are not just number go up and are not so financially motivated um, and are more so building like culture. It feels like we've seen a shift away from like immediately liquid tokens and, and immediately liquid governable assets. I mean, I think everybody wants number to go up. Nobody wants to own something and put, you know, time and effort into something that just, you know, gets devalued and, and, where we have no longer have any resources to build the things we want to build. So I think like um, if there is a phase where where we were ignoring that as a space, I think that that is one that we just need to be very thoughtful about repeating in the future. But I do think you're right. There's a very big difference between, uh, you know, the mercenary liquidity farming that kind of sparked uh, DeFi summer. And I think what most would agree would be more long-term sustainable network design, protocol design, or, or token emissions. Uh, I think there's still a, a pursuit of that, but um, and, and I'm, I'm confident we'll we'll get there. I think there's incredible new tools uh, that are emerging for it, um, and also you know it's sort of uh, I think liquidity is is crypto's uh, blessing and curse, um, mm -hmm. and I think being a builder in the space or a user right now at least it very much involves surfing the liminal space between those two um, because you know one end is irrelevance and the other end is a whiplash roller coaster that uh, just takes on a life of its own and maybe peters out too fast. Um, and so I think there's sort of like, uh, you know, we talk a lot about momentum management and wanting to make sure that there's, um, you know, a a regular heartbeat and, and drive and, and um, you know, value creation that's happening while also really trying not to get out of your skis too much. Uh, but often that is not a line that can easily be balanced and um, it's probably more like a yeah probably more like a whiplash and i think it's you know interesting even to look at uh, one of 
one of our uh, more recent uh, cohort participants, it was Meta Label, and Meta Label did a drop. So it's a, a multiplayer tool for uh, issuing um, or co-creating records, which are essentially like NFTs that you can bundle a whole bunch of things in, whether they're physical goods or digital digital goods. I'm wearing a T-shirt from the this drop. Uh, it's uh, it's called Vitalica. Public goods are good. It's a wonderful T-shirt. Uh, but that drop got picked up by a bunch of NFT communities. And um, because Vitalik was noted as an author on one of the papers, and uh, I think alongside Gitcoin and, and, and MetaLabel itself, this whole narrative spun up and there's a crazy amount of attention. It traded on Blur. I think it traded all the way up to one ETH, which is just crazy. And and there's threaders around doing their threading stuff. And uh, the whole thing was rather cringe ultimately. And I know that the, the team was very much not stoked on on that narrative sort of getting away from them and and you know a lot of people think buying these tokens without knowing why they're buying them just because there was hype uh, and so it's a, a very intense moment that you can kind of be a part of and also you know it brought metal label a ton of attention it generated them meaningful revenue and so as much as it might have been not what they were aiming for i think that liquidity and that amount of attention ultimately has turned into a, a plus long term for them especially since they have such a clear North Star and, and you know, know who they're serving and, and uh, who they can ignore. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those, the vector that we're going to have to be, you know, standing tall in and being uncomfortable with for some time to come. And maybe that's always the way, but uh, I do think there's more more nuance to it today than, than there has been in, in recent years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It makes me wonder, you know, when you frame DAOs as um, somewhere where people work, like the supply of contributors and all that stuff becomes pretty clear because you can sort of borrow from corporate structures, which I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do that, but you can. When you reframe it as um, DAOs or these like consumer products, my brain starts to go to this idea of like web to consumer product growth, which is kind of like the more the merrier, you know, scale, scale, scale. That's how you get VCs that want 100x returns or whatever. Um, And just it feels like what you're pointing to is actually this acknowledgement that like, you know, yes, growth can be good. Um, And and I guess this isn't, this wasn't your only point, but it made me think of it. Um, Growth can be good, but there is also a point where like you need to, if you're, if you're building these like networks that you want to be really healthy, you almost need to like throttle that back a little bit when you talk about momentum. Um, And so I'm curious how you approach that when you think about DAOs as these consumer, you know, traditionally would want to grow, grow, grow um, sort of spaces um, with this like momentum piece. Yeah, I mean, I think inherent in looking at DAOs as consumer products is a, a less bounded, you know, total addressable market. And I think that's exciting. I think that's necessary for most of these brands or products to to be really compelling, valuable long term networks. Um, and so I think that's that's important. And also, I think you know, if we look at the the meta today, I think what we're seeing is is a uh, a retrenchment away from the broad intensity of, of sort of the public square and into these more niche uh, niche spaces. And you know, I think crypto is an example of that. And of course, there's you know, dozens, if not thousands, of, of other niches within crypto itself that sort of um, creates that space where a, a sense of identity or belief is represented, and and um, where people come together and and 
and I think it were, were a lot of values created without there needing to be millions or billions of users or, or members in these networks. So I think it's like both this, you know, crypto has given us this worldwide market with, you know, 24 seven liquidity and um, the pluses and minuses that have come from that. And also if you look at, you know, there are only 10,000 Chromey squiggles and there are only 3,700 people who own those. And so it is actually a fairly small number of people that are actually sort of underpinning the value of that network or the belief in the value of that network. Of course, there's many more than 3,700 people that would love to own one and that, that's a component of it. So I, I sort of look at both those examples as, as sort of like the bounds of, of what is possible here where, you know, there can be 100 people who believe in a thing and never want to sell and therefore it's valuable. And at the same time, you know, uh, that nests within this you know, seven, eight billion people in the world. I don't know how many have access to crypto, but it's 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 some subset of that that is meaningful and and growing. And you know, there's uh, a, a lot of opportunity represented there. So I think the world I see is one where, yeah, it's just you know it, the thing that always blows me away. And I think that just we we who are in the space just often gloss over is the fact that when people, if enough people come together, and we're not talking about billions of people. Thousands of people come together and say, we believe this thing is valuable and we're willing to put our money behind that. All of a sudden you create a network that is worth millions, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. And that is value that has been generated out of thin air in some ways. Uh, it's who have studied sort of the history of money. You know, that's always how we've sort of generated value around these um, types of assets or currencies. And now we just have the ability to do that on the internet at scale and Anybody listening to this can, you know, has that that tool set at their fingertips. And I think that is truly mind boggling. Shared delusion. It's powerful. Sure. I mean, welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. I was just going to add to that. I think like, you know, then even the crazier thing isn't that, you know, you can just have, have this, you know, massively value now, valuable network is you can actually uh, like take all of all of that potential and all of those resources to actually go do this thing that seemed absurd or impossible, right? Like we've, you know, we have a number of projects we've worked with that are just on these, these like absurdly sound, absurd sounding missions, but because, because of this deep shared belief that existed early on and, you know, belief in the core team, they've actually been able to just take very real and meaningful, meaningful shots at it. And, you know, they're, they're going to do it. Totally. And this kind of like brings me to this question, you know, when we talk about scale and we talk about size and, and all of that kind of stuff, um, you know, like the vision that I have always hoped for, which might just borrow too much from Web2 is, is this idea that, you know, I can help govern like a TikTok, like a platform that I actually use every day um, where all of my friends also use it. And so I'm curious, do you think that the, the idea of DAOs as consumer products um, can scale to something like a TikTok? Do you think it it makes any sense for these like larger platforms to, I guess, first of all, even exist? Because like you could also argue like an FWB app, you know, is kind of competing against um, something like TikTok. So that's first. Do you think they, they can and will exist? And then two, you know, if you do think that they'll exist, do you think that the these are things that will be governed by and and be crafting ownership experiences around these products. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely think 
distribution is too valuable for them them not to exist i think they will hopefully decrease in in like social importance like they're very you know empty social experiences and you know i think i think smaller you know more more meaningful social contexts like like fwb can you know really enrich our our digital experiences so i think definitely think both will exist also very hopeful that and optimistic that we're gonna we're gonna figure out how to coordinate around these tools at massive scales to the point where we can have billions of people governing governing a you know a user own network yeah i mean i think these networks are being built right now it's it's lens it's forecaster it's you know probably a half dozen others that are just not top of mind um but i think we kind of need to change our our understanding of what governance means at that layer i think at, at the infrastructure layer we want these things to be uh capture resistant we want them to, to be immutable we want to, to know what the rules are and, and for there to be very few changes to those rules um, so they'll probably look more like ethereum or, or, or bitcoin then they'll look like uh, a dao um but that has a lot of governance or uh, on a daily weekly or monthly basis um and i think what we'll see is just like they'll let a million clients or apps bloom on those networks and so um you know, I think we're seeing a, a massive experiment being run right now on the decentralization of social media from, you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter to uh, TikTok maybe being banned to Blue Sky and Mastodon and Lens and Farcaster. There's, you know, I think never really been more pressure on the sort of uh, monolithic nature of, of, of these networks. And so uh, I think we'll should expect to see a lot more uh, places that maybe uh, give users more choice to go and participate in, in a way that they feel uh, more comfortable in. And of course, this is, I don't know, the either cause of or, or sort of uh, symptom of uh, this ongoing polarization or, or echo chambers that we sort of live in, but it seems like impossible to pull the two apart. So uh, I think governance will happen on a more local level um, and be much, much more uh, I guess simple or, or thin at the the meta network level. Mm. Chase, yeah. do, you, do you really do you really want to govern TikTok? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I uh, I actually have an unreleased podcast with one of my friends who could not give a shit about crypto, but um, I asked him that question. Like I was basically trying to get at that, which I should really release it. And his answer was kind of like no. Um, the only ways in which he really cared about governing were the ways where he's like directly impacted. Um, and what's interesting is that like most of his reasoning around wanting to govern would be much more along the lines of like, I want to force limits on the amount of time that I can spend on TikTok because TikTok doesn't like really do that effectively. So it was actually mostly to like use TikTok less, which was interesting. Um, I don't think I want to govern TikTok, but I think that uh, – for social media platforms where I spend a good amount of time, I do think that there's like a level of trust um, that I don't have and that I think as an owner I would have more of in a weird way. But I don't know. I don't necessarily trust, you know, the way America is governed either, and I technically do have a say in it. So, Yeah, I think what you're saying is you, you want the rules to be clear and understood and, and consistent, and I think that's what builders want from from the infrastructure that they're building on and then we need to have like you know uh, maybe maybe the original dream of the united states there's variations in how states are governed and you can go live 
that's maybe where it breaks down. You can go live wherever you want to go live. At least on the internet, it, that's the friction between those is significantly less. And so I think we just haven't had because of, of Web two and and this sort of um, you know the the aggregation of attention or of demand and and the walled gardens and the business models that sort of emerged from that. There wasn't uh, incentive to invest in and build those types of tools. And I think what we're seeing now is that for both political and social and economic reasons, we're seeing those types of tools be built. And uh, I hope we'll have many more places we can hang out on the internet uh, and that are easy to leave from should we wish. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, the FWB app alone has been like a fascinating, um, it's one of the few Web3 social medias that I've like actually engaged with pretty heavily. Um not even just from a posting perspective, but also from consumption. And it's been, it's definitely um, a completely different experience and one that I would feel comfortable leaving if I wanted to, which I can't say is true for any other social platform that like a lot of my friends use. Yeah, I think it it fit this thesis so perfectly that, you know, DAOs need to be building native ownership experiences. People want to feel like owners of these networks. They don't want, you know, it, you're, you're world building um, as much as anything else and, and using, using Discord or whatever you're using for, for that world is a significantly diminished experience. So yeah, it was sick, it was sick to see after we do that. I think a, a ton of the, the projects we're working with that, you know, are currently Discord based are very actively building things to, to, to get, get their communities off it. So exciting things to come for sure. Buy Discord. Bye. <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely love that. Before we wrap up, any closing thoughts, any any advice for people who are exploring, building more ownership-centric experiences? Um, yeah, curious if you have any last words. Yeah, I think that the time is now. Um, you know, I think there, we're, we're in this moment right now where a lot of the attention and the money is off the space. People are chasing new shiny objects. And I think for those people that are are building or investing or deciding where to spend their time, it can be easy to sort of look at what's worked in the past as the as a as a guide for where we should spend that time or, or money today. And I think um I think that that might be a mistake. I think that we are coming to the end uh of an era and a beginning of a new one. I think over the last two cycles. Uh, the only people that were around here in crypto were developers. And so the right thing to do was to to go build infrastructure and to go build tools for those developers to go build new things. That's clearly still valuable. There's no shortage of, of things that need to be built in the space. But I think this last 18-month uh, period has really shown that there are real human beings who want to be a part of this ecosystem, who want to own things, who want to have ownership experiences. And I think the consumer era of crypto is is here. We're, we're very much right around the corner. Um, and C-Club's pretty excited to be working and leaning into that space. Uh, a, a few exciting announcements over the next couple of weeks. But if you're thinking about building, I would encourage you to look at look at, at the tools that exist that might allow you to go build something that people actually want to be a part of. Beautiful. I love that. I love the idea that crypto is in its consumer era. And I hope you're right because we can't continually have more infrastructure than we do consumer applications. It's just going to end up creating. We just, we just need more perp exchanges. So we need more yeah, decks, more perp exchanges. We don't have enough block space. So a couple of new no. L1s, roll, roll some ups. Let's go. 
Um, well, Josh and Jess, it was so wonderful to have you on. Where can people find you, follow Seed Club, all of the things? Yeah, I am. I'm Josh, C-R-N-L-S on Twitter. Seed Club is, just correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's Seed Club HQ. Yeah, go follow Josh. He's um, chronically underfollowed. I give him a hard time very often about it. We have a new rule that if he doesn't tweet, if he says something awesome and doesn't tweet it within 24 hours, I get to steal it. Um, and he's been, <laughs> and he does, he does. He I does. do. Was, I'm not, this is not, yes, oh hundred percent. Yeah. Everyone needs to, to save Josh from Jess's <laughs> stolen yes, valor. Oh no, it's, it's uh, predatory for sure. <laughs> uh, but he, he's been, been, um, you know, the, the main author of this incredible series, uh, has gone along with our eyewitness collection and, uh, you know, clearly somebody that you should be following if you're interested in this space. Uh, so Make sure you follow Josh and uh, I'm that tall guy on the internet and you can find me on Twitter there. But yeah, appreciate you having us on, Chase. And we have a lot of really exciting things uh, emerging from the C-Club world. I mean, always, but this next couple month period is uh, going to be incredible. So if you're not already in the C-Club world, come hang out, cclub.xyz. Uh, you can the best way is just to make sure you're on our, our newsletter list. That's where we give everybody the alpha and the early looks and uh, we have a bunch of fun things coming out, so make sure you're on that list. Yay. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This was wonderful. Thanks, Chase. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.